Oh, I have poured some alcohol. Oh, uh, some some water of life. So I got some water, and then some <laughs> some adult water. Uh. Is that vodka? What? what, what? I, it's it's just whiskey. Oh, it's it's uh, room temperature whiskey in a glass, as as I do. Um, that's. I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, I was listening back to uh, our episode three, uh, Toto's "Hey Now You're an All Star." Yeah, um, for for no particular reason, mm-hmm. uh, and I noticed that uh, that was that was also coincidentally uh, the first of our episodes where uh, I would I would bring a, a, a weird beverage, and so I had a kombucha on that one. That um, was the kombucha episode, huh? Yeah, it it predates Dubai Fridays kombucha episodes. So yeah, yeah. take that, jerks. <laughs> We'll, we'll take your we'll take our check in the mail. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. but yes, that was that was interesting. Also, the sound it's not great. There's a little, little, little hissing and popping. So it's kind of a good thing we're re-recording it. Also, it's a good thing we're re-recording it because um, you've seen the rest of it now. So yeah. it makes it a little easier to talk about. Although I'm not sure it really improved your life. Uh, no, to, to do this. I think it did the opposite of that. Um, in the other episode when you were listening, did I did I say how much of the movie I watched? Uh, I think you said about halfway through. Um, but 25 you... minutes. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> less than a quarter. Today, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I rapidly got to a part where uh, I had no idea what was going on. I still had no idea what was going on, but I rapidly got to a part where I had never seen it before. Oh, basically, you you watched, they didn't even get to Arrakis yet. Um, no, I, uh, I got to uh, Floaty McFad guy, and then I think maybe... In the preparing to uh, fold space to go to Arrakis scene, I just blacked out the first time because I blacked out again this time and I had to rewind for a minute. And I was just like, why Why is this scene so quiet and slow and taking forever? And it's like, all right, you got you got one of the fat floaty brain things and he's doing a fold spacey thing. So uh, let's just get through this and then presumably some people will talk again in a few more minutes. Yeah. So, hmm. This is a movie which, uh, in in the previous episode, I had I had warned you was not very good, uh, and I have said it is not very good over and over and over again. Um, I'm but, not sure I remembered that. You probably said that a lot in the episode, but I don't remember. I remember you saying this is not a good movie. I still sort of in the back of my mind thought this was one of those movies that you uh, had a little bit of love for or something. Oh no! See, I have an affection for it, but I know it's bad. I I, okay. I I'm fully capable of recognizing this isn't a good movie. Well, so then, why, why did you bring that to our episode three? Like, if I would have watched this movie all the way through in episode three, I would have thought that you were doing the podcast as a joke, and we probably wouldn't have made it through four years of this show because I thought you would have just been screwing with me. Well, I mean, uh, well, you've obviously figured out that I never screw around, mm-hmm. and uh, all of my suggestions are nice and wonderful, and I know that you will enjoy them. I still don't know why you would want to watch this movie. Uh, well, it's 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 just it's really bizarre. And I had I saw this movie when I was a kid uh, on TV, uh, the TV edit uh, of this, the Alan Smithy cut, um, and that left an impression because it would be on TV a lot because you could fill hours of programming on a cable channel that didn't have much uh, content <laughs> with, with this thing. Uh, and this is, uh, just a, an incredibly strange thing. Like there's no other science fiction film that's really like this, which is a good thing. 
But at the same time, these sets and costumes and uh, a lot of the sillier ideas in here, uh, some of them kind of could have worked in a better movie, uh, but that was not on display. Uh, David, David Lynch could not assemble a good movie out of this. Uh, and he partially blames the producer, uh, Dino De Laurentiis and his daughter, Rafaela De Laurentiis, uh, otherwise known as Aunt Raffi on, uh, Jada De Laurentiis's cooking show. Um, mm. yeah, uh, D- uh th- they're related. Yes. Hmm. That, uh, that, that they're, they are in fact related. You remember Raffi, the, uh, the, the, the singer? No, not ringing a bell. Sang, uh, sang children's songs, little tapes and stuff. You get a, you get a, a tape where he would sing "Happy Birthday" to you or something with, with your name in it. Oh, interesting. Baby Beluga in the Deep Blue Sea. No. Hmm. But anyway, that's Raffy. Uh, there. So this. <laughs> I'm just gonna spend the whole episode derailing you. <laughs> well, that's fine. There's no rails. Um, th- this, this is a. Uh... Just a kind of a mess because David Lynch makes weird, experimental, so what? Who cares? I'm just going to do what I want. Movies. So is, is this movie just like um, fully compromised because producer director couldn't see eye to eye and the the product suffered because of it, or was this in fact closeish to someone's vision but not quite? Or like what is what is your what is your assessment of the? Uh, the final product uh, as, as it was intended to be versus um, what came out. Uh, well, the problems for this started in pre-production, like many movies, where it had a long um, development hell process of being put together by various parties, including infamously um, the Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky's uh, version of that that was going to have Salvador Dali as the emperor and... Salvador Dali wanted to be paid $100,000 an hour, but because of his pro-Franco statements, he was taken off of it. But it also included works by Mobius and H.R. Geiger and Charles Foss. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. Oh, and Dan O'Bannon um, was working on it, and uh, he had to be hospitalized uh, when when this was when that project was canceled. They spent $2 million on pre-development stuff. It was a mess. But then he worked on 13 scripts afterwards, and one of them was Alien, and uh, he collaborated with H.R. Geiger again, and he went on to have a, a good career. He's fine. Mm. Everything's okay. But, uh, so you get, you get like, this mess that's coming into it, this production uh, shambles that have occurred, and the rights to it being purchased and uh, sold and purchased again, uh, and Dio De Laurentiis has them. Um and he obviously has the money to do it because Dino De Laurentiis is a famous movie producer of things. Uh, but for some reason, he decided that David Lynch would be the person he was going to go with. David Lynch was also being courted by uh, George Lucas to do <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And uh, uh, Lynch decided he didn't want to do that because George had basically made all the decisions. He just kind of wanted somebody to sit in the director's chair instead of him. Uh, infamously, George Lucas does not like directing human beings, um, and uh, it shows. But Lynch uh, decided to do this instead. 
Um, and this, uh, you know, Dino De Laurentiis and uh, Raphael De Laurentiis, they thought that, you know, this would be their Star Wars, basically. And this would be a whole series of movies. Like Virginia Madsen, who plays Princess Irulan, is signed on for uh, a contract that includes other films afterwards. So everybody th- thought they would get a Star Wars out of this. Um, except for Lynch, who thought that he was going to get artistic vision out of this. But he made a four-hour movie. Um, which was way too long and needed to be cut down even further and was able to get it down to like three, I think. And then there was more hacking and slashing. And you just start adding things to... They they like filmed new scenes to make up for things that were cut. They uh, added all of the horrible voiceover that's in the film. Um, and you just you get a really compromised product that nobody was really happy with because mm-hmm. it's not the truly bizarre thing that lynch wanted and it's not the uh commercially viable thing that dino de laurentis wanted Um, it's really strange that it does actually feel like a four hour long movie with just like pieces snipped out of it and stuck together because it is very disjointed to the point that it almost looks like they took a four hour movie and then just grabbed a five minute segment moved forward 10 minutes grabbed a five minute segment moved forward 10 minutes because the pacing is absurd like the 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 building of tension the payoff of things that are built up there none of them are timed appropriately or effectively and they just kind of happen in some instances and then in places where they are trying to like draw stuff out and build tension it has absolutely nothing to do with anything it's very very uh like hard to get a grip on as a viewer uh, which is, you know, aside from the the fact that the first 40 minutes of the movie is basically whispering and it's very quiet, that's uh, one of the other reasons I, I find my eyes glazing over at this movie. It's just there's like there's nothing to pull me into this one. And I'm sure part of that is just because I, I could give a crap about space nonsense, alien weirdness stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just it's very odd. Yeah. And I lay the blame for the pacing on David Lynch because... There is no reason for these scenes to be so languid. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, I actually there was a moment where uh, when, when we first meet uh, Duke Leto, and you got uh, you got what's his name with the hair. He comes out of a door and he walks to the camera, and then they start talking. But he's got to walk like thirty steps. But the way it's framed, there's no way to cut around it at all. So you're just like, so this isn't the editor's fault. This is staging's fault. And then also sound design isn't doing us any favors because it's just sort of like quiet and everyone's just standing there. And I don't know if there just wasn't coverage, but the way a lot of this was shot, it's just like an actor will have to say a line and then pause and then deliver another line. And uh, you can sort of tell that they're acting, not like you, you, you they, ha- they have no ability to cut around the awkwardness that is inherent in acting a scene out because it's just like it's it's a medium two shot and they're just standing there next to each other You're like, well, this is unusual and you can't cut it for time because it's just a two shot and you can't do anything with coverage either because again it's still like just the performances and the angles it's very weird yeah and part of that is um there's no energy in the performances and i I assume that's intentional because it's a pretty even criticism you can level across all of the acting that you see for the especially the first part of this film Mm. uh not that it really picks up later, but uh, th- th- this first part of the film, everybody's just kind of delivering every line in a weird monotone. It's very stilted. 
Um, and I, I mean, part I, of, part of it is the challenge at hand, right? Because there's a lot of internal monologue stuff that is telling story and being revealed between characters, and you don't really want to go like really over the top with internal monologue because that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's so much of it that it just if there was any effort to add emotion or energy into the performance itself, it wouldn't match up with the internal monologue. So everything just sort of comes out being this like gray blah. Yeah. And a lot of times the voiceover is just in service of explaining something that seems like it didn't test well or something like that. Like, Oh, the audience didn't get that. uh, This, this is how this shield worked or that's how this, hunter killer thing would move or something like it, so then there's just whispery voiceover uh i mean the whole hypodermic needle scene uh, i guess you, you have to have some sort of internal monologue because how would you know what the hell that is like i guess it's just it's a hovering hypodermic needle that uh if you move it'll see you or something but it goes on for for a very long time and he's just talking to himself and yeah. standing very still it's like what in god's name well he, he's He's got to explain uh, that he can't call for help because it'll kill whoever opens the door. And he's got to uh, hold perfectly still because it's dark, so no nothing will see him. Uh, and uh, there must be an operator nearby. And it's like, does does this work well as an, in an adapted form? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think the hunter-killer scene as, as adapted here uh functions and part of that is just because we're watching somebody stand still in a room while this little floating dart thing moves around and we even get the weird close-up angle from inside the dart presumably but the 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 lens is all wrong for that um so it just looks like you're inside somebody's like grandfather clock uh but uh i mean there, there are ways to do that scene without voiceover and I can already imagine how I would shoot it, but uh, the, the the choice was made to not do that. And at some point there was a choice made to reveal a lot of internal monologue for uh, some reason. I know a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that there is telepathy in this movie and you need to sort of reveal some of those things um, without speaking. But they they really, really, really did a lot more than they needed to. And I don't know why, because it did not help. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to, like, explaining who a character is. It's like, is this really a thought you're having? Or is this is this you just explaining this to the audience? It's it's because it's, it's, the audience needs to know some fact that otherwise would not be obvious. Yeah. Um, not, and, not, not a lot of it seems like it was retrofitted in post or something. Like, a lot of it seems like it's timed to the scene. So it was there. Like, there are some where they're real short and they're just kind of tossed in, which they could have just added in post. The one that continues to baffle me is when he says, uh, my baby sister is growing in your stomach or something. And, uh, her internal monologue goes, he knows it's like, yeah, yeah he just said that. <laughs> yes. What's, uh, like those ones are short enough that like they can overlap with her, her actual reaction. And it could have been done in post versus actually timed out on set. But some of these are incredibly long and they had to have shot this scene knowing that there was going to be two minutes of whatever while he gets, uh, while well, he stands very still and the hypodermic needle chases him around or whatever. I yeah. Just... And I mean, another, unfortunately, Jessica thought is when she's uh, meeting with Dr. Yui and uh, she like has that extreme close up look at uh, the diamond on his forehead 
the the mark of imperial conditioning and so she's she's explaining the mark of imperial conditioning to us the audience in a whisper voice um while she's staring at him uh it, it doesn't it doesn't work because it doesn't feel like it's something that she's thinking inside the film. Um, it just feels like something that she's explaining to us in the audience. And a lot of the dialogue is that way, too. Uh, just the, the s- stuff as filmed, where people are walking into scenes announcing who they are, um, or where somebody announces who the person is right when they see them, even though it would be somebody they're completely familiar with. Uh, there's, there's some really sloppy stuff in here right from the get-go when uh, you have... Uh, uh, Princess Irulan go up to the Emperor and say, Father? And it's like, okay, well, obviously we've established that that's the Father. And then he he, sa- he he says her name and that she must go. And it's like, did you really address your your sibling or daughter or family member as, as their full name? Um, and the Reverend Mother uh, is there, and she's like, uh, as you wish, I'm your truth-sayer. And it's like, okay, okay. We, we we get we get it we get it we understand like you why would you say that to this character though like because mm-hmm. then I, you got the uh you got the the guild folk coming in calling her a witch or whatever and then the, you know she's reading minds like we we get it uh mm-hmm. we, we get it two or three times we don't need literally all of that yeah no and and there's uh other ridiculous stuff uh it, one that always makes me chuckle as it did you uh it, it was when we were talking about this beforehand is when uh the emperor is on arrakis at the end of the film and he summons the baron and says bring in that floating fat man pregnant pause the baron and it's like <laughs> how many how many floating guys do you have here uh that that would fit fit the bill of that description uh, so it, it's just really incredibly sloppy, sloppy writing. And that's even mm. one that you could have fixed in post because there's such a long pause between he, when he says, uh, that floating fat man and when he says the Baron that you could just like snip it just right there. Scene, the scene's over, but, uh, but they're like, no, but this is essential. Are, <laughs> yeah. There are many scenes, not just related to dialogue like that, where I was like, you can cut now. Go on. Go. All right. You, okay. There you go. And then just again. Jordan, this here, and then there are so many things that are just completely breezed past. Like Sean Young is in this movie somehow. Like she shows up in a dream, then she's there, uh, pointing a gun or whatever, and then they're in love, and then uh, and then they're riding a worm into battle. Like what? What? Yeah, there. I assume this is some of the material that was cut uh, that was filmed because. In the book, and uh, subsequently there's a, a more recent-ish adaptation of this for the Sci-Fi Channel. They did it as a miniseries. In both of those, uh, Chani um, plays a substantially larger role, and uh, there is a romantic relationship that develops, and there even come uh, even at the end of it, there uh, comes to be kind of a, a situation with how love and statesmanship work inside of this feudal society because he ends up uh taking chani as his uh concubine like lady jessica is a concubine for uh his father and he marries princess irolan so that that way he is the emperor of the of the known universe at the end of the film but yeah there's a lot of stupid stuff in this movie about uh the 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 relationships and marriages between these houses to maintain power and cetera that are uh not explained and not helpful and 
I, we could do without. But uh, well, I mean, it would have been good if it had been executed well because courtroom intrigue functions well inside of these sort of uh, dramatic adaptations of things. It, it's just that you never really get a sense of these relationships uh, that are there and why there would be any sort of emotional thing. Like, we don't understand why Baron Vladimir Harkonnen and Duke Leto Atreides hate each other. Uh, that's never explained. We also, in the book and uh, uh, elsewhere, uh, you, you find out that Lady Jessica is actually an illegitimate uh, daughter of, uh, or cousin, I can't remember, uh, an illegitimate relative of the Baron Harkonnen, um, but she was uh, taken as a child and raised by the Bene Gesserit. So she doesn't even know that. And that's something that, that Paul reveals. And so you get like layers of things of, of the tangled lives of these people, but that doesn't work here because everybody just kind of wanders into a scene and goes, hi, I'm this name. Oh no, I hate you. Oh no, you're okay. Let's ally against this person. Okay, great. And then cut to 50 scenes later. Oh, well, they're dead. Yeah, or never the, seen again. The initial premise of the whole thing, I, I read it after I watched the movie just to make sure I didn't miss anything, but I'm still not clear. So they they felt uh, telepathically that uh, uh, Duke and his kid would have been a threat to the Emperor or something, but he already knew that they were a potential threat. So rather than be threatened by them he gave them power over the most valuable resource in the universe and then planned to have them uh uh were ambushed and uh killed by uh by the floating fat guy but um why did he have to do that in the first place first of all why was he threatened second of all why was appointing him to the head of uh dune uh the the appropriate thing to do and then from from there, if I have answers to those questions, then I can understand, okay, then you have to um you know, ambush and sabotage him with, with the with the floating fat guy. But um I don't have answers to that. And then from there on, um we the, the, I guess there was like a failure of communication when when the guild came in and said make sure you kill the kid because it's very important, and then they don't kill the kid. They're just like yeah, take him out to the desert and throw him throw him in a worm so there's no body. But like, who's gonna be traipsing around down there looking for bodies or whatever or like do the investigation because like they own the government or something? So pr- presumably they could have just shot him and it would have been exactly the same. Um, yeah, or just it, shot him and then throw them into the desert. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Just, take him to the desert and then have, shoot like, him. <laughs> two completely bumbling and have to do is drive him out to the desert. Yeah, it's very James uh, Bond. And then at the same time, uh, who was it that like rigged the uh, the that particular ship with uh, suits for them just in case? That was Doctor. Oh, it, it was the guy that betrayed him, right? Yeah, it was Doctor Yui. Um, and he knew exactly what ship they were going to take out there. No, uh, well, see, this is the thing: is like he he does according to this, but like, how would he know that? That doesn't make any sense. Um. Uh, but there's 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 there is a line that the emperor says at the very beginning that uh leto's uh become too popular and so he needs to remove him so his plan is to offer him you know like uh make, make him an offer he can't refuse he's gonna he's gonna so give are we him... to understand that the emperor is democratically elected <laughs> no well he's worried that there will be a coup uh if, oh and then if... people will be like ah it's the cool guy doing the coup so it's fine yeah because 
what this movie does not really get into is that the emperor kind of sucks. So, uh, and you see that he's, you know, cruel and ruthless about certain things, but he, there, there is no sign that the government is poorly run or any of that. Yeah. We're not uh, seeing streets of like, uh, homeless people who can't feed themselves or something like that, that are, you know, asking for him to do something. And he's just like, Nope, I'm too busy over here eating, eating caviar out of my gold uh, bowl or whatever, uh, to deal with your, your peasant problems. We don't see any of that stuff where he's turning his nose up at the people. Uh, he's just like, uh, he's just a grumpy faced dude who wants his, his potential, theoretical future opponent killed yeah and the guild navigators are only concerned about whether or not leto is killed because uh it it would involve spice production which they need that's the only that's the only wrinkle that they care about well why why would it why would it affect spice production if he had leto killed in literally any other way oh oh well, well he needs to lure him somewhere where the army that Duke Leto has would be ineffective. It seems, um, to use a phrase from you, tactically unsound to lure him to uh, the place that creates the most precious resource in the universe uh, and, and, and risk a lot of things going wrong just to settle a potential future vendetta. Yeah. Well... Even if everything had gone wrong and that uh, Leto had won that battle, um, Baron Harkonnen would have been the one implicated in that, not him. Um, that was that was basically what he was banking on, was that uh, this would be a way to get rid of uh, Duke Leto without getting his, his own hands dirty in it uh, and without the other houses learning that he was just offing somebody who was too popular. Hmm. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess, whatever. You well, appoint, no, but you, I, you appoint him to run Arrakis and you kick Harkonnen out, and then Harkonnen theoretically gets mad and takes it back uh, from everyone else's perspective. He's just upset that the uh, Emperor appointed uh, Leto to run his planet. So that's why he's doing this, is what it would appear to other people. Yeah. And this is, to your point, not well explained. Uh, inside the film, there is that literal exposition of him saying this uh, and there is Paul's concern that this is a trap and uh two for how it's acknowledgement that this is a trap, but because they know it's there, they're fine. Um, which but is also, like, a, not a, true. Is it, <laughs> is it some sort of like, um, like Royal, uh, pleasantry or something where they're, he couldn't turn down this opportunity. He couldn't be like, what are you talking about? I'm coming for your job. You're going to appoint me to run, the spice planet? I don't want that. Like, does he just, we just assume he has to say yes, or just the fact that it's the spice planet is, is a big enough honor to, to lure Leto in. Well, this movie doesn't really explain what motivates Duke Leto at all. Um, so I don't know, but, uh, in the book, um, there is basically, uh, such a big deal that if it goes correctly, then, um, he, he would, uh, be greatly enriched by this but it doesn't go well so he's screwed the also while we're on the topic of the spice and the planet um can you give me an example in this movie where the uh age slash cognitive abilities of the the most valuable asset in the universe are actually uh illustrated 
uh, are you referring to the spice? Yeah, yeah. It, oh. w- when in the movie does somebody use it to its benefit in a way that it is spoken about? <sighs> the, there is only one scene where somebody it, like actively intakes spice, and that is the scene with Paul um, right before the hunter secret comes in. Um, and that is it. The rest of the time, they say they need the spice because it lets them live longer and um, enables the space folding capabilities of. Okay, I guess we've got the one one scene where they fold this where they fold space, but yeah, but that's that... that's because that's because he's so mutated by the process of ingesting this spice over such a long period of time that it's he's basically not really a human being anymore. Um, the big the big floating brain thingy was a human. Yeah. Oh, gross. Yeah. Um that's that's the uh that's the thing about the the spice intake. Uh and that's why they can fold space and nobody can just like, you know, take a tablespoon of spice and then fold mm. space. So um what was Brad Dorif drinking that he had all over his face? Was that also spice? That was the Safo juice, Sa- Sapo juice, um which he literally says when he's drinking it. Uh and that makes, is makes him think better or faster. Yeah, that is that is an, a different drug. That it, it's basically this book was written in the '60s, so everything's drugs. Um, <laughs> but they're they're different drugs. Yeah, they're different drugs. Uh, and so this lets him uh, think better because they basically use uh, the Mentats are human beings that are uh, altered, and they can basically they're computers. Um, because they don't have thinking machines anymore, which is not explained in this film, but is explained in the oil painting Ken Burns uh, mm-hmm. opening to the TV version, even though that doesn't really make any sense. Doesn't um, help if you watch that in isolation, um, you don't you don't really glean a lot of info from that that is useful in the narrative. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 his deal. And then the water of life is from. Uh, the the wee little baby worms, uh, and that is what the Bene Gesserit use, um, so that they can fully realize their telepathic powers and and stuff. But uh, that is, I guess, tangentially related to the spice because it is from worms. Um, it seems really complicated to get any of this stuff and to use it but uh there's a whole society built around that so great i, I yeah I, i'm still missing um anyone doing anything in line with the magnitude of the spices effects apparently aside from folding space yeah oh well it also makes your eyes blue you're right of course so aside mm-hmm. from blue eyes and the you know the folding the space with the uh with the with the the brown slimer guy um i just it doesn't I don't, I don't I don't buy it that yeah. people would be this invested. No, and I don't think the movie sells it uh because in the book they can talk about how old um some characters are that cuz spice in small dosages over a period of time doesn't like mutate you but it does enable you to live longer. Uh so there are people who have lived like hundreds of years and stuff and so there's there are other effects. Um like the, Jupiter ascending sort of <laughs> but in, in the in the movie none of that is demonstrated as you said and even when paul ingests some spice nothing really happens 
his big deal is when uh, they go to the desert later and he's like, oh, the spice has changed me. Being here has changed me. I can feel so much and see things. And it's like, okay, great. Um, but supposedly, according to him, that's just because the planet is just covered in spice all the time. So it's ambient also, spice. <laughs> the ambient spice. Also, yeah. the, is that his spice girl name? Um, <laughs> also, the, the the spice is worms. Yeah. So the planet is covered in just like worm poop. Worm was it worm poop or just like well, uh, worm dander? Like they shed their skins and then it turns into dunes over ten thousand years. They they die and it turns into spice, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of decompose into that. Uh, and the 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 little guys, I forget if they come f- if the little guys come from the spice or if they are birthed somewhere else, but whatever, they hang out in spice. Which um, little guys? The the little baby worms. Like the the one they choke out for the water of life later. Did I black out and miss that? Oh. Is that just in the TV edit? There were there were baby worms. Yeah, basically there's he, when Paul takes the water of life, um they there is a, a small baby worm um that they strangle <laughs> until until it basically vomits up uh, liquid and that is the mm. water of life i don't yeah i don't think that was in yeah you, now, that, now that you say that you're right and i'm just remembering it, it was just like elsewhere. Cut to, he's on his knees in the desert and he drinks the blue stuff yeah well john young pours it into his mouth while he's laying on his back which is i can't believe he was able to drink while laying on his back but sure whatever mm. also is that is there some kind of like unwritten rule that you have to be tied up when you drink the the water of life is that so you like you don't hurt yourself it's like like a mouth guard so you don't bite your tongue off or something well, it seems to have some pretty strong hallucinogenic uh, effects. So, probably. I mean, is he going to start like peeling his own skin off or something? Well, like, I don't know. You got to just be, be careful. Better safe than sorry. So you know, yeah. bind his hands and feet. Yeah, I mean, in the middle of the desert. I don't really have like a hospital bed, but uh, it's it's I, I, I like most things. It's handled better in the book than it is in the movie. The uh, the movie. Is just kind of like here is something from the appendix of the book. Let's just take that and put it in here. Uh, like uh, another weird thing is Paul has like five names. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's Paul, the sleeper, uh, Moadib, Usul, uh, and and uh, I'm forgetting one. Um, Trades. N- yeah, but there was another nickname thingy in there. But uh, it doesn't matter. He basically has all these names, and they're just like dropping them in there, and you're just like. Great. What's a Moadib? Um, in the book, it's like, oh, it's a it's a Fremen word for a, a desert uh, mouse. Uh, and there's a whole complicated scene where they it, he, he picks it up and explains it and adopts it as his name. Um, well, th- there's a scene in here where he says, I thought he was talking about the moon or something. He said, what do you call that second thing on the thing? And they're like, we call that such and such. And he's like, call me that. Yeah, well, that that also is it because the, the moon is named after the desert mouse thing but Usul <laughs> is in here for like no reason um and i mean it's just it's it's just sort of like checking boxes i guess of like we need to mention this thing but it, it doesn't it doesn't build the world because you don't get a sense of how that integrates with the whole um to to make a, a complete narrative by itself uh so i, I don't i don't really love that <sighs> Um, no, uh, 
And I, uh, I don't know. Jessica Go being ahead. a concubine uh, has a, a larger role in the narrative of the book, but has no role in the movie. She might as well have been the queen or something else. Instead, you got everybody just wondering, huh, wonder why she's a concubine, huh? Um, and nothing about Chani being a concubine enters into this. So there's not really like some sort of concubine story to be told here. It just, it just happens, just so happens that that's the situation. Uh, and Lady Jessica is in the first part of this movie and then she takes the water of life and puts on some black robes and is basically non-existent for the rest of the movie. And, uh, water of life makes your hair fall out. Apparently you you don't really, you're a woman. You don't really get like an arc on a lot of this stuff. It's just like, I mean, it's all about Paul, but at the same time you just get characters who appear and then disappear and then pop back up just to be seen in the background. Um, like Patrick Stewart, uh, as Gurney Halleck in, in, uh, in here, he's the, the guy who's training him basically on weapons and stuff. Uh, and then he disappears into the desert and joins pirates. Uh, and he's reunited with Paul at the end and they set off explosives, uh, that, uh, enable them to retake the, the, the base. And you have him in the throne room scene offering to kill sting for Paul. Um, and that's that's the extent of Gurney Halleck. Uh, there's more to him inside of the book, but instead you just get uh, weird Patrick Stewart stuff. Did you know he was in Star Trek, Dan? Um, sure. Mm-hmm. He had a mullet in this movie. <laughs> yes, it was an unfortunate look. Uh, but y- y- we. You you just have like all this stuff where it's just like a Duncan Idaho and it's just, just like oh my friend Duncan Idaho and it's like oh, oh okay yeah are, are you are, you seem you seem like you've just literally met each other for the first time good to see you old friend <laughs> I'm sorry you're not coming with us oh I have to go early and then he's gone and then hey it's you you'll never guess what I've found. There's lots of these people out here. Oh, cool. See you never again. Yeah. Well, he gets shot. Um, but uh, this this is, also has uh, something that's not in the book, and that's the weirding module. Um, and the whole <laughs> using sound to cause fires. Um, Amazing name. Which is interesting. Yeah, well, in the book, uh, it, it's like a weirding technique. It's just basically like a super movement thingy and the voice stuff and all that yeah it's apparently tied to the voice that the the word you use combined with the the sonic gun or whatever makes a makes real strong blast but i guess they just were like we have no way to visualize whatever it is so we're just going to turn it into a laser gun um where we can draw uh orange yellow blobs um on screen and that'll be it so that's there (sighs) yeah I um I don't care about this movie. <laughs> See, I'm in, I'm in the opposite position cuz I care about it. I just I think it's bad. So I like So I, you think this is a movie that was kind of like a wasted opportunity and you're looking you're looking forward to Denis' version. Yes, Denis Villeneuve um is going to do a version of this and while there is a lot of criticism of let's say Blade Runner 2049 for being maybe overly long. Um, I don't think there's 
any way there's going to be a short version of Dune by Denny Villeneuve. Uh, is it possible to make a short movie, a short version of this movie? There's there's too much crap in here. No, what I really think they should do is make like a television series, Game of Thrones style, um, and just mm. go through everything in in that way. Um, not a mini series like what the Sci Fi Channel did, where they spent like five bucks on it. I mean, like you know, go to town and do do a good job. Um, and you know, you see something like Game of Thrones, it's like, well, this is the same thing. You got courtroom intrigue and backstabbing and, you know, plans within plans, all that nonsense. Uh, and, and you could execute that on HBO to today. But, uh, it, for some reason, everybody's like, let's just make a movie where we have to shove everything in. Um, and it's going to be two hours long. It's like, I, I don't know. So I, I have a feeling that, uh, Denny's version is going to be like, seven hours maybe and they'll cut it down um but uh <laughs> i mean it's gonna be long but hopefully it's coherent but like i i don't see how they they maintain the entire scope of this story in a two-ish shower movie and tell it in, in a coherent way well as you pointed out i think you could do a lot better than what david lynch did in terms of pacing so you may be able to more capably move through things also there's stuff in here that i think you could just flat out omit or uh, characters that could be reduced uh, in their role. Um, because, uh, as you noted, they did reduce one of the characters, uh, Princess Irulan, um, to the point where you're like, why are you talking over this Starfield at the beginning of the movie and then just hanging out in the background <laughs> every now and then? It doesn't, doesn't really work well, uh, what, what they wound up doing with that um, for Mag- Virginia Madsen's character. So I don't know what they're going to do with Princess Irulan and the other one, because in the book, she has this whole thing where she goes on, like, a little side quest to find out information uh, about things, about the plans, and uh, she's suspicious of her own father. And there's there's stuff. Uh, yeah, that is, yeah it, it's just like, well, how do you squeeze all of that in there? And David Lynch couldn't do it. Um, and uh, I, I just have to imagine that it, she's got to she's gotta go. Um, she cut she out, has cut a, out uh, cut out saboteur guy also because don't need him. Well, you need Doctor Yui. You need the you need the treachery. Mm. I feel like the treachery the treachery is essential to this because otherwise it just makes them seem extra super mega incompetent if if this happened. But uh, the, do we need both of uh, fat floaty guys' kids? Well, you Sting has uh. Sting has a larger role because he's Sting in this than he really ought to. Before the end of the movie, he's just walking around in like underwear. Yeah, that's there, his role. Remember, remember when uh, he steps out of the like steam thing yeah. and yeah. he's just standing there like heavy breathing, and he's just wearing like a molded plastic wing over his he's wearing, crotch. He's wearing a cod piece with wings. Yeah, it's uh, weird. Um, and also, I'd be curious to see what they do with the baron because uh they they do not nail the baron um in in this movie uh this performance um by mcmillan is really awful uh and the whole thing with him having boils that need to be lanced by this doctor that's all stuff that's actually added into this that's not in the book uh that has nothing to do with anything uh, I don't know if Denny Villeneuve is going to be like, you know, let me carry that over because I really love that part of David Lynch's movie. Uh, I mean, they succeeded in making him gross, but I, it's not 
useful. No, it isn't. And in the in the novel, it's much more about uh, he's kind of a well, he's he's a hedonist uh, who is uh, sort of bi- bisexual, pansexual, um, and incredibly disturbed and cruel and sociopathic. Uh, so they sort of try to imply that a little bit with the guy who he removes the like heart plug from and then uh bumps into uh, across the table as he bleeds to death and it's like okay i guess that doesn't doesn't really work but uh but that that was another strange thing ian mcneese in the sci-fi channel version does a much better job um although the rest of the movie i would say nobody else is really doing a good acting job william hurt is in that one as Mm. duke leto atreides and if you're like Jurgen Prochnow is boring and a waste of space. Just wait till you see William Hurt. <laughs> Just blandly, boringly standing there. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, there there are things that could be done in here uh, to to liven this up and tighten things up. Um, the pace could certainly be improved. We don't necessarily need to have the scene of Peter DeVries uh, on board his little trolley car talking about how he's setting his mind in motion. And I know that people love to say the line and like to quote from that and think that that's atmospheric, but I don't know if that really is more important than uh, explaining more of the stuff with the Fremen, um, quite frankly, uh, which I think is more essential to the narrative. Fremen. Yeah. (sighs) Stupid name. Well, it's supposed to be, you know, like free men. Oh God! Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole thing, uh, where you know, religion and things, and they're gonna be free. But um, so that's fun. None of the reveals are like, I guess it 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 doesn't really help to continue to say that these weren't done well. But like, uh, you know, the whole like, oh, there's lots of them, and then when we meet them, and they're like, ah, we're gonna eat them for moisture or whatever. And they're, they're like, no, you're not because we're strong and then we'll partner and stuff. Like none of that scene is performed particularly well. No, it isn't. Um, and you never really get a sense of uh, the society of the Fremen. They just seem like weirdos who live in caves. Uh, and also they seem very, uh, very focused on their their water cache that they have accumulated. Right, they're saving water, and then yeah. I thought that was that tied into it later, but apparently not. Apparently, when uh, when when uh, Paul becomes the whatever the the word for the the Quizart chosen Satirac. one is, yeah, sure, does yeah. that does that whiskey drink with the absinthe? Um, yeah. When he becomes that, he just like he has the power to make it rain. So I, he's not actually using the water caches, right? They're just like hanging on to those for a rainy day or a dry day or whatever. Um, uh, well, I mean, but that's also a weird moment in the film. Cause it's like, who said anything about weather powers? Like, well, also, like he's no been reason. repeating a couple times throughout the movie and like his dreams, like there's never been a single drop of rain on this planet. And I was waiting for something like, okay, once it rains or once we use this water uh, to make it rain or whatever they're going to do, like it's going to, alter the universe's ability to harvest the spice because it it 
won't be a dry planet anymore and then they'll be able to like take back the destiny of their people or something because like they they can no longer be taken advantage of as just yeah. like a mining resource that's actually the what happens in the sequel books uh is they yeah. use the water that they've stored uh to start uh uh reclaiming the planet's surface uh to be habitable and it also reduces the amount of spice that uh can be accumulated and uh the number of worms are fewer and fewer right or if they had like enough water like put the planet underwater except for your little elevated mountain thing where you got your base there and it's like come get your spice now punks it's all underwater like what are you gonna do but, leave uh, us alone is what you're gonna do you know but and there's there's more with it. uh and by the way wizard satirac was the fifth name that i couldn't remember earlier um for mm. paul because that is also not explained and it's not um it's not the kind of thing that you can quickly intuit from anything uh, you just kind of have to figure out, like, oh, he's basically Jesus, um, but... Uh, <laughs> he's Spice Jesus. <laughs> he's Spice Jesus. Uh, uh, Dune, where's my Quizart Satirac? But, uh... If you want to be my Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get with my Spice. Uh, uh, <laughs> I regret doing that. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> A little bit. Uh, but, uh... Yeah, so it's 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 not it's not explained. There's just water, um, but ta-da, the end. And then we we get the end credits that I, that I like. Um, Why do you the, like them? They're so stupid. Well, there's just something so over the top about these end credits. Like, how many end credits do you watch where like people are uh, like? Fading in, like with the rotoscoping over the waves crashing in slow motion behind them, while gold letters reveal the the name of the cast member that you see before them. Yeah, it's like it's beloved character Brad Dorif. Yeah, you remember him from that two minutes. Yeah, and Chani, which is a very weird name. Yeah. Well, but uh, also I'm completely underwhelmed by sean young's performance in this as i often am by sean young's performances she's got nothing to do in this movie no but even the few things that she has to do she has like some of the worst readings for these things it's just like Mm. tell me of the waters of your home world usul and uh when she first meets him it's like i i you know i would have killed you to protect uh my my tribe here come this way i'm going to show you around and it's like oh wait no you don't you don't pivot like that. That's not. It's not how that goes. See, the problem is uh, they they put uh, blue stuff over her eyes, and her eyes are really where most of her acting comes from. Well, fortunately, that was all rotoscoped. But uh, they, uh, you also have a the the music here by Toto uh, as drafted in the soundtrack draft which I believe is the reason why you wanted to do this because I just kept needling you about not having seen Dune. Um, and so it was provided inspiration. I mean, aside from the end credits, I really don't remember a lot of music in this movie. That's another one of the things. It being very quiet just made me want to go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I don't. there's not much music, but I like what's there for the most part. Uh, it, it needed more. Yeah, well, the problem is... There's just so much nothing happening. Like even if you put like a bunch of music over, like the, the 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 scene of the the hunter seeker stuff, 
uh, like a, a big bombastic score over that to really like drive home the point instead of just the, the slow stillness that wouldn't have worked. Like you kind of need the slow stillness of that. So I, I don't know where you put it in. Um, and you don't want to just have it like as a music bed when the emperor's talking. Cause it's like, we need these vital facts that you are providing. Um, so, so let's not, let's not do that. Yeah. This movie really was a chore. Like you had to, you had to listen or, or at least I felt like I had to listen or I was going to be completely lost. And based on the fact that we've been able to like hold a conversation, apparently I, I grokked everything that occurred. I just don't, I don't have anything. I don't get anything from it usefully. I like that. That's a criticism that you have. I had to pay attention to this. No, like I had to pay <laughs> excruciating attention to it and like be fully engaged every step of the way. And if I like, drifted for a moment to look at something in the background i was just like wait what nope rewind rewind what yeah well and at, one, I, at one point i tried to rewind and i picked up my fire tv remote upside down and i'm like why is it fast forward i go back it's like oh it's upside down but it has a it has a like a d-pad you could feel with your thumb on that yeah i didn't i didn't go for the d-pad and went straight for that rewind oh dan but yeah that's it yeah the this whole movie, movie exists. There, there are people in it. Yeah, there Kyle are. Uh, there, there are many famous actors. Jurgen Prock now. Um, uh, I'm, wait, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Liet, the the Imperial Planetary, whatever. Um, Max von Sydow. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, you know Patrick Stewart. Uh, and. So they're not they're there's there are no like slouches here. Uh, where mm-hmm. at least this is a good place shamed. where uh, Jurgen Prock now could meet Dean Stockwell and get ready for Beverly Hills Cop too. Yes, uh, Dean Stockwell. Mm. Is there anyone else in this movie from Beverly Hills Cop too? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Max von Sydow could have been in there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean Max von Sydow and uh, Jurgen Prock now appear together in. Uh, uh, Judge Dredd, the Stallone version. Mm. Remember that? I remember the movie. Mm-hmm. I am the law. Cuckoo Chew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the extent of it, really. And uh, they rehashed, the, they hacked this up and then turned it into a TV version um with an oil painting intro and a male narrator explaining the history of the universe uh for like seven minutes and some people have a fondness for that uh i think mainly because that might be the first version that they saw uh and while i won't say that that is any better or worse than this one i will say that it is not good either so it does the same things that the uh the the princess uh, theatrical version does but then it adds additional historical context that is not really of any particular use during the movie no um it does help that uh the narrator can explain it um in a better tone than i, than I think irulan can and the narrator doesn't go "Ooh, i almost forgot uh and fade back in um because that that's an annoying quirk of the the princess irulan version but uh it's a lot easier to understand him because um, he's also describing things and showing us planets and stuff. Uh, whereas Princess Irulan is like, it is the year, blah, blah, blah. And this is the thing. The Padishah Emperor, my father, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, God. It's 
Why? There's mm. nothing here. Also, I would like to state that I cannot believe that that little creepy young child is Alicia Witt. Oh, do I know who Alicia Witt is? Uh, she's been in some things. Redheaded lady. Oh. She was in two weeks notice. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's another thing we didn't talk about is uh, the, the decision. Yeah, the decision to give her the weird dubbed voice um, and... There are a lot of dubbed voices in this movie. Either that or the uh, the audio editor is just incapable of syncing audio. Well, might be both. Might be both. But her, hers is especially just awful. Um, and uh, it's it's really weird and distracting when you're trying to watch her because she's just a child actor and she's being... <laughs> she's nine. Yeah, she's being given... Um, direction by David Lynch to do all this weird stuff uh, and then you add that voice on top of it it's just like this is very strange like there's that slow motion thing where she's holding a dagger and it, like has her arms outstretched and uh, is is just enjoying the storm and it's like this is it's a little weird just it's very strange and when she gets the nosebleed when Paul takes the water of life and like a quarter of her face is fully covered in ketchup <laughs> it's just yeah. like this is this is very disturbing imagery for mm. for the children. Also, why did we need a fetus baby? I I don't think we needed that shot at all. Oh yeah, the 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 prop art direction folks were very impressed with themselves. Like, you know what? This is going in the movie in a really long shot. Yeah. Speak uh speaking of uh uh the little trolley thing that the navigator comes into the emperor's room is impressive, but I don't find the navigator himself to be impressive, especially the close up on his eye. Um, it's not convincing to me as an organic thing or his mouth nose thing. No, that's very weird. Uh, but w- the, the worms most, uh, the worms mostly work except, uh, in the end battle, they keep cutting back and forth to them, um, from different camera angles, uh, in scale. So it's, we get some shots where they're supposed to be like looking up from the ground and then we get these shots, which if they, if the camera was really there, it'd be like a super high up there helicopter shot, but it's filmed as if, you know, it, it just makes everything look small. It, it's not, it's not properly like photographed to make the mm. worms seem as large as they ought to. Yeah. There's some bad compositing and some very bad blue screens. Oh, very bad. And also the quality of the print that is in the version you can buy on iTunes uh just in general for the the print has weird blue streaks throughout and uh other discoloration issues um so maybe they want to fix that at some point that'd be nice <laughs> maybe they'll go back and do a nice 4k hdr restoration yeah like uh when peter devries is uh in his little trolley car uh in in the harkonnen lair and he's talking about how he sets his mind in motion etc um, someone made the bright idea to use uh, chain link uh, stuff for the exterior part of the the thing he's inside of, but put blue screen behind that. Uh, the technology was not really there at the time to handle that very well, and you just wind up with this incredibly chewed up, like hash mark thing of what the the chain link should have been, what that mesh should have appeared to be. There's some um, super bad matte edges around. Well, just like not even matte edges, but like where the optical composite is like offset improperly. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about I'm sure we talked about it the first time because I actually saw that scene. Uh, the first time we see Flying Fat Guy, he's flying around in a soundstage where we can just see above the set. Um, that, that's not... The, you said the same thing last time, Dan. It's not that's, the set. That's, that's lighting rigging up there. I don't care what you say. <laughs> that's not the set. Yep. Up up there, it, they're inside of a, a little green cubicle. You can see it from the, the top map painting um, as Peter DeVries goes into... Uh, this this space. They're all little green cubicles that are open air on the top. I, I know, I know catwalk. catwalks when I see them. Yeah, there are catwalks inside the space, though. If you look at the map <laughs> it's painting. It's a soundstage. It's not a soundstage. <laughs> they played into the soundstage. Uh, They're like, yeah, why not? It looks fine. All right, sure. Maybe they retroactively made a map painting to make the soundstage make sense. I think it's the reverse. Um. Uh. But uh, you, you. This is hilarious to me because you literally said the same thing last time. But I'm sure uh, I did. yeah, it, I, saw that. I actually watched that scene last time. It, it was. It was literally the same complaint. But it's not. It, that's. That's not what it is. Now I hate that scene for a variety of reasons. Also, we didn't really need the two for how it will milk this cat scene. Um. Oh, what the hell was that? It. It doesn't help. Um. It doesn't really help at all. <sighs> milk. Milk the cat for your freedom or something, right? Well, to because it's the only way to get the antidote to the poison that's been administered to him, and he needs to do that daily. It will make is him. The, is the antidote in the cat milk? Apparently. Or are they just trading cat milk for antidote? No, the, the antidote is in the cat milk. Um, this is all part of. Uh, basically, the Baron wants to break Two for Howitt so that that way he will serve them and be their mentat uh, because Peter DeVries is died from the the tooth uh the whole tooth and nothing but the tooth <sighs> you take that back <laughs> but uh but yeah that's 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 not great but whatever milk the cat mm-hmm. oh my god movie's a big no it's a no for me dog that's fine well it's all it's all done now dune sember is over all of the Dune movies that we just co- that we covered this month are done. We started the show with Dune and we ended it with Dune. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about this movie ever again. Well, that's fine. You don't have to. I mean, I would have been perfectly happy not doing this movie at all and just needling you for the rest yeah, of eternity. Exactly. You never would have let it go, and now we've yeah. done it. Well, I mean, it's, you kind of ruined it, really, because now you've seen it, so there's no fun. Mm-hmm. There's no fun for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can go back and watch the tension next if you want. Oh, I saw that whole thing, so that's <laughs> that's that's a no. Um, uh, ready for the big game tonight, Coach? I'm assuming that was a line. Yeah, I I I uh, I tooted the uh, little YouTube. Like 15 second YouTube clip of that a couple weeks ago. Mm. Great clip. I like the football coach. He's got so much energy. Good for him. <laughs>